The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Some humans are willing to break all the rules to contact extraterrestrial life. And then we take a look at the interesting phenomenon known as cellular memory. And that's the idea that if you get an organ transplant, you may gain parts of the donor's personality. You might be a lifelong smoker that all of a sudden quits. Or you could be a vegetarian who's now craving a juicy hamburger. But sometimes those cravings are much, much worse. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I'm doing another one of those. Just came in the door. This time I took my shoes off, but just came in the door episodes. No downtime. Let's see how this goes. The last one worked out. I don't remember which one that was. And let's also thank our latest Patreon. Thank you guys so much. This is Mellow Ruse. Mellow Ruse. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Keeping us mellow in our underroos. Do they still make underroos, actually? I remember those. I used to wear those all the time. Yeah, I'm sure they probably still make underroos, but it's nothing I want to research. And uh, let's go ahead and get started with the episode. Thank you again so much for that. So... The first topic we're going to talk about, it's really interesting because I've run into people like this before. People who really believe in this stuff. Now, we can quibble all we want about alien life. I'm sure it's out there, you know. But if it's out, I, 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 here's the thing. I like my science, other than like science fiction, other than like fictional stuff. I like my science fiction ideas to stay in the realm of science fiction. And then fantasy can stay in the realm of fantasy. So let's, for example, say this. Let's say the military wants to do experiments on telepathy. And you could have someone write a paper saying, you know, brain brain waves are simply waves. I'm not saying this is real science, but brain waves are real waves, and waves move in patterns. So if you can figure out the pattern, scientifically, you can build a device to read the brain waves as they're emanating from the skull, like stink lines off of that stinky kid from Peanuts. What was his name? Dirtbag? It wasn't Linus. He was the blanket boy. Uh, Mudslinger? Uh, Pud Puddle. No, wait. It was something like that. It was Pigpen. Pigpen. Yes. That had nothing to do with where I'm going. But So you can read brainwaves like Pigpen stink lines. But then people go, oh, no, no. Telepathy is like touching into the ether and you have this crystal and blah, blah, blah. No. Keep telepathy in the realm of like science. Don't build a device that can read auras. You, you see what you see what I'm going at? Like, my, I want my science to stay in the realm of science. So when people tell me about UFOs, and they say, you know, if you concentrate on the sky, you can make UFOs appear. We actually have a guy up here like that. There's a guy near Hood River. I think it's by Mount Shasta, so technically in... No, Mount Adams, sorry. Technically in Washington, but he has these camps that you can go out to, and you just stare up at the sky and go... UFO, come to me. I want I want to see a UFO. I want to see a UFO. And you concentrate. It's a little more involved in that. We'll get into that in a second. But you concentrate. You think about a UFO, and then you see a UFO. And so you're using your 
astral being to contact these things. I think that's absolute rubbish. Absolutely ridiculous. Because I like my science to be scientific. But, 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 I'll give myself some wiggle room here. Let's take a look at one of these processes that these people do. There's a group called the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Also, SETI, it's C-SETI. Now, SETI is real. They're the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And then you have this group that believes in magic. It's run by a guy named Stephen Greer. Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And they're all into this. Basically, it's for people who can't afford high-powered telescopes or are very impatient and can't just wait for a UFO to fly by. They have to try to attract these things. These, so C-SETI is basically one voodoo doll away from just being full-blown magicians or thinking they're magicians. They talk about the... Opening yourself up, making UFOs appear and stuff like that, but whatever. So, it, which it begs the question, if you can do this, one, there'd be UFOs everywhere, because the military would just be like, sick them, boys, and you just have like a bunch of military dudes out in the desert going, come to me, UFOs, and UFOs would be flying all over the place. And two, why is it that people just driving down the road happen to see these things who are just driving down the road? They're not meditating on any of this stuff. But I could poke holes in it all day long. Let's actually take a look at what they believe in before I keep knocking this down. For C-SETI, this is called coherent thought sequencing. So this is what you do. First thing you do is you have to set up some lights to signal the UFOs to your area. So like flares, don't burn anything down. You don't have to use flares. But like lights, you can get a bunch of flashlights, whatever it is. You have to build a landing area or a place where the aliens can notice you. Then you have to play tones. Now, where do you get those tones at? Here's an interesting little quote that I learned from these lunatics. The teams, these are the teams are the people out in the woods hanging out. The teams broadcast tones over radio that were originally recorded during a contact event in a crop circle. So right there, crop circles are man-made. So I I know I'm coming down really hard on these guys, but don't worry. This isn't just me debunking this stuff. This goes someplace really interesting. Let me start over. The teams broadcast tones over radio that were originally recorded during a contact event in a Crop circle. So basically what they recorded was college students going, <laughs> I can't believe these guys actually believe this is an alien as they're drawing these geometric lines. That's not in the quote. That was me adding it. Okay, let me continue. The tones are a part of their technology that we have recorded and are sending back to them. Imagine if, I love this part. I love this part here. Imagine if you went into someone's home. And now I want you to actually imagine this, by the way, as I read this. Imagine if you went into someone's home. And they had a wall of pictures. How interested would you be? Mildly, maybe. What if you noticed your picture on the wall? Would that pique your interest? Transmitting their own technology back to them is our attempt to put their picture on the wall. Now, speaking personally from experience, when I go to someone's house and they have a wall of pictures, the first thing I do is go, oh, is there anyone... Hot in any of these pictures? Is there an attractive woman in any of these pictures? And, you know, there may or may not be. But that's my first thing. <laughs> okay, let me back up here. I don't, I don't stalk people's houses. I'm like, oh, I hope they invite me over tonight. I need to find some beautiful women. But generally, my eyes are drawn to attractive women. So if I'm in a house and they have a bunch of pictures, I will look around and go, oh, she's hot. Okay? Now... So that might be a little too revealing. But if I walked into someone's house and I never met before, because that's the aliens in the example. It's a house that you've never met these people before. If I walked into a house of people I've never, ever met before, 
And there was a photo of me, a, fo- a blurry photo of me walking down the street. That would pique my interest. It would also pique my paranoia and my fight or flight response. I So I get their point, but that might be the worst analogy. If I ever walk into someone's house and I saw a photo of me, I am not going to turn around and go, I am feel welcome here. I want to turn around and start looking for any sharp and or heavy object to fight my way out of the house. So... Tones. You play the tones, the aliens go, oh, that is the song that we recorded in a crop circle. And they, they're like, yeah, remember when we were giggling in the crop circle saying we were college students? And they're like, yeah, that was pretty funny. Then you sit and you meditate on the existence of aliens. You sit there and you really focus your mind on the fact that aliens exist. You feel your essence start to go up. Some of you are catching on what's going on here, too. And this is actually a real thing, coherent thought sequencing. You meditate. Your spirit goes up and it goes to a UFO and you wait to be invited into the UFO. And then when you go into the UFO, you are able to interact with the aliens and you give them a map back to your home, not your home, well, where you're at. You can do this at home, it doesn't matter. You have to have the lights, you have to have the tone, you want to meditate, you enter their UFO with their permission and then you guide them back to your location. So think about this. If you replace the lights with candles, you replace the tone with chanting, you replace the meditate. You don't have to replace the meditation. It is normal. Or the tones would be an invocation. The meditation is simply the meditation you would do with, yes, a spell. The idea of an astral travel, leaving your body to this other realm, waiting, asking for permission to engage these powerful spirits and then bringing them back to your little area that is 100% a spell now it's not they're not saying light a circle of red and black candles alternate the colors and on a full moon they're just saying put some lights up play this tone meditate ask for permission all that stuff it's a spell and this is why it might work so as much trash talking as i was doing earlier this is why it might work but i don't think they're calling aliens Let's go back to the year 1918. We're hopping the Jason Jalopy so we can keep undercover. We're both wearing dapper clothes. I'm wearing one of those little bowler hats with like the, the rounded top and a tie. I have an old-timey mustache. You are dressed the way you're dressed. Well, you're dressed exactly how you're dressed right now. So hopefully you have some clothes. You're like, Jason, why can't I get awesome clothes like that? I'm like honking the horn really loud so I can't hear you. Silently giggling. People are thinking you're a witch. And we're driving around. I'm driving super slow just so people can get a good look at you. You're like, Jason, I'm listening to this episode in the shower. I'm like, so we're driving through town and we're going to meet a dude named Aleister Crowley. Now, Aleister Crowley is probably the most recognizable man in the dark arts, in occultism. There, You could say Anton LaVey is up there, but I think Aleister Crowley is probably the most recognizable name. And anyway, he's also the name of the bad guy on Supernatural. I think, I don't know if he's still around on that show. But anyways, he was when I stopped watching it. So Aleister Crowley comes to America and he starts really getting into occult activities. And he meets up with this woman named Roddy Miner. Roddy Miner. Not Roddy Miner. That would be like hilarious. No, it wouldn't actually. That's sad. Miners are all dying in caves and they're like, uh, maybe someday Jason will make a joke about me and it'll all be worth it as they rot away. Anyways, Aleister Crowley and Roddy Minor, they start performing sex magic. They, they get really into the occult. They start doing all of this really weirdo stuff. And 
they start on this path called Alamtra working. And it was this path that they wanted to go on. And it a path, a magical path is like, a, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it. It's basically like a series of steps. They're working towards a specific goal using magic. It's it basically, they go, this is our end goal, but it, we just can't do it today. We have to do all these little steps. So they're doing this. And they're also doing copious amounts of drugs. So they're super high, they're banging all the time, and they're just calling it magic, and they're working on this stuff, and they're meditating. And they end up, through the course of this working, they meet a king, not in real life, like in the astral plane. They meet a king, they meet a small boy, and they meet a wizard named Amletra, which is why I said it, but I pronounced it differently a second ago. That's why they called it Amletra working. And Amletra gave them a directive. He said... Find the egg. So they were looking for this egg forever, right? <laughs> the ultimate Easter egg hunt. They're like, I can't find the egg. Well, I think we have to bang more. So they keep banging. They're looking, turning over the couch, no egg, have sex. This goes on and on. But through the course of their sex drug-fueled magic, they meet an entity known as Lamb. L-A-M. When you look at drawings of Lamb, it looks almost identical to what we describe as a gray alien. The only difference is the size of the eyes. Lamb has kind of normal eyes, but it has this giant head, tiny little mouth, tiny little nose. Looks like a gray alien except for the size of the eyes. Now remember, this is happening back in 1918. The idea of what a gray alien looked like, forget ancient aliens, because that's just all made up. But when we look at ideas of gray aliens, those really weren't talked about until like the 1950s. So this way precedes that stuff. So And Aleister Crowley's drawing pictures of this lamb guy. And he actually says, these aren't pictures. These are like portraits. This is exactly what they look like. I guess portraits picture. He's saying these aren't pictures or portraits. These are basically photographs. These are exactly what he looks like. There's no artistic license in lamb's head. But now we're going to jump ahead to the year 1972. So Aleister Crowley is gone at this point. He's dead. And the group he set up, um, the OTO, the Ordo Templi Orientis, has fractured. Because, you know, that's usually what happens. Some guy starts a cult. He passes away. There's no real chain of command or there's no chain of secession afterwards. So it splits up and people, there's power struggle and stuff like that. This one guy sets up the Typhonian Order Templi Orientis. Or, or Orientis. Orientis, right? And he comes up with a way to contact Lamb. He wants to go back to the old ways. He wants to follow in the footsteps of Aleister Crowley and talk to Lamb again. And he came up with this thing in 1972 called the Lamb Statement. These are the steps. Have a picture of Lamb. Concentrate on it. Silent repetition of the name. Lamb. 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 Uh, Lamb Chop shows up singing a song. You're like, no, not you. If you have a positive feeling... You can enter the egg. So lamb's floating around in this egg. And if you feel positive, you can enter the egg and you can interact. You actually see through lamb's eyes. You're now in this other plane of existence. But if you have a negative feeling, then the ritual is not going to work and you just come back to your mortal body. After you spend some time inside a lamb hanging out, you can then close your eyes and then you leave lamb and then you do a banishing ritual and it's over with. Now there's a key step left out of this because he's doing a banishing ritual at the end so at the beginning you also do a protection ritual circle of protection is what it's called which involves candles and an area that's safe for you so and that's not included in the steps because that's just a given for any type of spell so what we have is the spell that the center for the search of extraterrestrial intelligence is using 
And if you think that's a stretch, the Lamb Statement was written in 1972. The Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence came out with their coherent thought sequencing in 1973. It is stolen directly from that. So either Aleister Crowley found a way to contact an alien using the power of his mind and dark magic, or you have a bunch of people in the woods, a bunch of borderline hippie dudes thinking they they can look them in the sky and concentrate and see a UFO and be one with the universe, and they're not contacting aliens as we know them. They're practicing dark magic and contacting something that influenced one of the most influential occultists of all time. Basically, don't go hang out with those guys because you know what's going to happen. For all you know, it's the cosmic equivalent of Charlie Charlie plus a Ouija board. Like, just don't do that stuff. Because who knows? What if that's like a... That'd be an interesting story. Like, there's a bunch of demons out there, and they're pretending to be space aliens. That's a really common idea, but they actually have to have humans want them to... cut. Oh, never mind. That's stupid. Okay, so let's go ahead and... That's basically every <laughs> Annabelle movie ever. Let's go ahead and move on with our next story here. Now, I... So, I recently had a cat put in my tooth. I've talked about that before. And I have some bone loss up in my upper jaw. It's not a lot, but it just happens, you know, bad hygiene stuff. I mean, I brush my teeth, but it's one of those things like you're supposed to floss and do all that other stuff. But anyway, so I have, I lost a little bit of bone up there and I had some gum issues. And when they put the cap in, they said, we're going to come back in six months. And if the bone grows back, you're kosher. But if it doesn't grow back, we'll fill it in. And I, so of course I go, well, what are the chances of it growing back? And the dentist was like, it's most likely going to grow back. I don't see a problem with it, but it's just a procedure we do. But of course I went home and started researching this because I found that fascinating. Like I didn't really know bone grew back like that, but then I thought, well, that's what happens with a broken ankle. So it's kind of thinking about it. If, cause you know, he was saying it may not, but if your bone of your mouth, your jaw, what the, 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 the uh, bone in your mouth, that's the best way to put it. Cause that's the way I already put it. If it doesn't grow back, They can do a bone graft. Now, there's three different ways they can do it. One, they can take bone from your hip, but that's very expensive because there's two surgery sites. They can take bone from a cow and put it in there, or they can take bone from a cadaver and put it up in there. And I was like, and I thought it was kind of interesting because although a human body replaced, no single cell in your body is the same it was seven years ago. Your body's constantly regenerating and dying off, regenerating and dying off. Even though I don't actually have the same body, I don't have a single cell that existed back when I was 35, you know, go further back. Like when you're, by the time you're seven, you're basically a, from every atom up, you're a completely different person. I've never had another person like inside of me. I've never had like parts of other people. And that's not a sex joke. Like I've never, the idea of having a part of my body, like having an other person's part, I, I can't think of it. I know it keeps sounding like a sex thing, but taking other people's stuff and put, never mind. You guys get the point, right? And even a cow, like it would just be weird. And I talked to the dentist about that. It's actually the ortho dude, endochronist, whatever. The Indo dude, he goes, it's like Encino Man, except he does teeth. He said, here's the thing, Jason. He goes, yes, it does sound weird, but what happens is they scrape off all of the cellular material. So it's basically just, it's just the mineral. He goes, there's actually nothing left of the cow or the cadaver. It's just the minerals that make up the bone that we put in your mouth. And I go, well, you know about cellular memory, right? And he's like, I've heard of cellular memory. I have, but there's no cellular material in this. So whatever, he goes, I I go, what would you choose? I go, between the two, 
because I'm not going to pay for two surgeries. I go, what would you choose? And he goes, I wouldn't care. I really wouldn't care. If it was cow or if it was a cadaver, it wouldn't matter to me. But let's talk briefly about cellular memory because it's going to take us to a really cool place here. Maybe not cool. (laughs) Quite tragic. But cellular memory is this idea or theory, however you want to put it. You get a heart transplant. You get it put in. The previous owner of the heart loved to gamble or loved the smell of pork or has a smoking problem. And you do none of those things. But all of a sudden you have this new part in you and you start to develop a craving for nicotine or you start to develop a need to go to Vegas or you start to develop something for the second example I gave. And there's a ton of examples for this, but it's one of those things that there's a ton of examples of cellular memory, but there's, let's say there's hundreds of thousands of organs donated back and forth a year or decade. It may not be 100,000 a year, but let's say there's 10,000, just for example, 10,000 organ donations a year. And then every so often you read a story about someone having cellular memory. If cellular memory was actually a thing, you would see it 70% of the time or 50% of the time. And it may be, and people just aren't reporting it, it may not be so wacky like our next story. But if it was an actual thing, one, you think it would be reported more. And two, it would be very easy to test. You would just be like, let's see if this works. You take a heart and you put it in someone else. And he's like, no, no, I love my heart. But you put it in and you could test it. It's an easy theory to test. It'd be inhumane to test, but you could test it, see if there was any actual proof of that. But a cellular memory, whether or not it's true, I actually find quite fascinating. It's one of those things that I really, really enjoy to read about. So let's take a look at one of the most bizarre stories I've come across involving cellular memory. The year is 1995. We're, we're still in the Jason Jalopy. We're leaving. Where were we before? I don't remember that last story. I don't remember what we were talking about. Oh, UFOs. New York. So we're leaving New York City. We're driving down to South Carolina. That's quite the trip. It'll be fun, though. It'll be allow, allow you to change your clothes into a period-appropriate clothes, but we're in the year 1995, so just got to wear, like, a flannel jacket and then another set of flannel tied around your waist. We'll cut the sleeves off your flannel. I'm still wearing my dapper suit because I am iconoclast. Is that the word? I don't know if I'm using it appropriately. I'm fashionable no matter what I wear. So we're driving through town with Jason Jalopy. We're going to Monk's Corner. And there we meet a couple, Terry Cottle and Cheryl Sweat. They're pretty young, pretty young couple. They were previously married to other people. They cheated on their spouses. They ended up getting together. And they have horrible marital problems. There's a bunch of problems going on. And one day, Terry Cottle is like, I can't handle this. And Cheryl just is like throwing her ring over the fence. And they're having this big argument. And then the next day in the bathroom, Terry shoots himself, and goes into a coma. Pulls out a revolver, shoots himself, and they take him to the hospital. Four days later, Terry dies. Well, to be specific, Cheryl has the plug pulled on Terry. But Terry had an organ donor card, so Terry's heart was donated to an older man, he's 57 years old, named Sonny Graham. Sonny! Sonny Graham! Sonny Graham, 60 miles away, gets Terry's heart, and he's doing great. He's doing great. He has the heart transplant he needed. He had some congenital defect or something like that. Maybe it wasn't congenital. Maybe he was just bad, bad diet. But it doesn't matter. Got a new heart. He ends up making contact with Cheryl. He wants to find out a little bit about the person he got the heart from. Maybe pay some respect to the family. Immediately falls in love with Cheryl. Sonny's married. Sonny boy is married. 
Cheryl is married to another person. Then she marries another person, but eventually she does marry Sonny Boy. Relationship's a total mess. He goes into debt. He actually had more... He was doing fine before he met Cheryl. He bought her a house while he was trying to woo her. Buys her a house, right? For her and her three kids. But when they, by the time they get together, he's super in debt. And one day, things weren't working out. Sonny goes out to the shed. Sits down. I don't know if he sat down. Walks in the shed. Stood up. Doesn't matter. Grabs a 12-gauge shotgun. Puts it to his neck. Kills himself. And at that point, no one wanted that heart. People, it, it, there was about a 10-year time span between when Terry died and then he got the heart. Sonny got the heart pretty quickly. They don't let him sit on a shelf. And then about 10 years later, 12 years later, he shoots himself in the neck dies. It's really interesting because this is considered... One of the most unusual cases of cellular memory. Because he did start to get a craving for hot dogs. That was something that he never had a craving for until he got the heart. So he started to enjoy hot dogs. He started to love beer. He started to drink a lot of beer. And his minister said, you know, it was really weird. After he got the heart transplant, he seemed... he see, It's not like he seemed completely different. But he seemed restless. He seemed... I don't want to put words into the minister's mouth, but it, it just restless was the term he used. So I'm thinking maybe a little agitated. Maybe he felt a little out of place. And the minister did notice a change in him after the heart transplant. And I came across this story because I was looking into cellular memory because I found out about my possible little bone replacement in there. And I'm reading this and I go, yeah, that is an interesting case of cellular memory, but I have some questions. So I dug a little more, like a little gopher. Got my little paws into the internet and moving dirt around, which is really just typing in words into Google. Let's take a look at some of the facts of this case. When Terry died, Cheryl said, my son came running up to me and said, Terry shot himself, Terry shot himself. And I went and I kicked open the kitchen door, not the kitchen door, and I didn't kick it open. I walked into the bathroom and saw Terry with a revolver lying next to him. But then later... She says that she was actually able to run into the room as he was getting ready to pull the trigger. Not huge, not a huge thing. Now, apparently, Terry had made comments about killing himself to close friends and family before this happened. But he shoots himself in the head and goes into a coma for four days, and Cheryl has the plug pulled. Now I'm going to start using the word allegedly. So, allegedly... And remember how I said how Cheryl had a couple of relationships before she ended up with Sonny, the person who got Terry's heart? At least one of them. At least one of them. And maybe both of them. Because I only wrote down on my notes one of them. But I'm pretty sure both of them complain about this. Very volatile, violent relationship, allegedly. And one of them said she threatened to shoot me on multiple occasions. If you allegedly, shot somebody in the head and realized they don't die immediately and it's possible that they're going to be in a coma for a while until you make the decision to pull the plug, wouldn't you possibly learn from your mistakes and think, hmm, next time I will use a bigger gun, a revolver was the first time, now I'm going to use a 12-gauge shotgun, and I'm going to go for the neck because it's really hard to survive a neck wound. Far less skull, far more fragile part of the body. It's possible, when we look at the theory of cellular memory, that Sonny got the heart of Terry, and that heart was burdened with something. On a cellular level, the memories were still there, the pain and the torment was still there. And that may have been why he fell in love with Cheryl in the first place. 
And so when things weren't going right, that essence, that spirit, whatever you want to call it, infused Sonny's body, overrode his better judgment. And one day, he took the way out that he knew would work, because it worked for the previous owner of that heart. It's possible. But sometimes you have to look at not what's possible, but what's more likely. You could have somebody gaining the memories, personalities, and eventually the same demise as the previous owner of the heart. Or you could have something that happens every single day. Cold-blooded murder for an easy way out. I think the idea of being murdered because finances weren't working out or the marriage wasn't working out sucks. I think that's a horrible way to go. But that would be a lot better than spending 12 years with the heart of a man who killed himself fighting for control of your body. One is unfortunately an everyday occurrence. The other one is living a horror movie, fighting an eventually losing battle between what you know is right and that darkness growing inside of you. Now, at the end of the day, I'm a man of science. And whether I need to get bovine bone in me or cadaver bone in me or no bone at all and it heals on its own, I'm like the dentist dude. I don't care. It's all just gunk. They can stick in me, do whatever. But what if this bone came from a mad cow? What if this bone came from a mad man? What if I am the unlucky recipient of the bone shavings of not only a man who killed himself, but a cannibal, a bloodthirsty cannibal? That's not going to keep me from getting a bone graft. But from time to time, from time to time, it may keep me up at night thinking, who, who is in my mouth? <laughs> DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Guys. <laughs>